Hello folks. In the last lecture, we began with the idea that being is an enigmatic fact about human existence. We saw that Heidegger guides us towards acknowledging how the things of the world reveal themselves or are disclosed through Dasein's everydayness. There are a few things we need to bear in mind then before we proceed this week. Firstly, we need to remember the vague pre-comprehension of being. An understanding of being is presupposed prior to any thought, study or investigation. Secondly, the nature of being, the question of being, is automatically obscured from us. This is in part a historical question. Philosophies that have dominated thought for centuries render the question impossible to ask. Hence the need for a destruction of the history of ontology. Thirdly, we need to remember the ontological difference. That is the difference between being and beings, where beings means things, entities, objects, people, and so on. Thus, between ontology and the ontic. Dasein, as it exists in the world, does so ontologically. That is, Dasein is the being that has a concern for its own being. That being is intelligible from the perspective of practice, our average everydayness. With these in mind, I want to proceed with Heidegger's preliminary sketch of how to interpret Dasein as a being in the world. Firstly, I want to explain just what Heidegger means by being in the world. Secondly, I want to explain what he means by world. Finally, I will turn to Heidegger's famous tool analysis as one of the first core concepts of being in time, where Heidegger explains how Dasein exists. If we are to understand what it is to be human, then we need to understand that there is something essential about our tool use for how we navigate the world. Part 1. Being in the world. What does the in mean? Let's start with the word in. Pretty obvious word. We use it all the time without even thinking about it. I'm now in a room. The beer is in the glass which is on a table in a room. All these different ins imply a sense of containment, uh, imminence, or within this, as in the cup contains the water, the house contains the family, and so forth. We can draw a distinction, though. Containment does not necessarily imply constraint. I can leave the house, I can empty the glass. Thus, the horizon of the ins can be open in some sense. This is kind of up to a point, like what Heidegger is talking about with the in the world of being in the world. Design is in the world, but not contained by that world. Sure, you might say that you can put somebody in a prison where possibilities or openness are foreclosed, but the very act of imprisoning someone is premised on their being open towards possibilities in the first place. Whatever your views on sentencing, imprisonment, or the administration of your local punitive state apparatuses, the reason they work effectively is because they constrain something essential about the inmates. When we punish, we do so not in the first instance to inflict pain or mitigate danger, although these certainly can be consequences of punishment, but to deprive a human of their humanity, of their essential openness to a world. There is a reason philosophy, since Plato's cave, is infatuated with the prison metaphor. 
philosophies and exercise in human liberation. But human liberation itself is constrained by where it finds itself, where it is in. Dasein in prison is a being for whose freedom is still an issue, just as it is for the person who's out and about doing their business in the world. So freedom can only make sense from the perspective of being in somewhere, of being in a world. But what then is it to be in the world? While I started comparing Dasein with a glass in which there is water, this is not ultimately an even comparison. Dasein shares with a glass of water certain modalities, e.g. the glass of water and Dasein are framed by their being in a place as well as a capacity to relate to and beyond that place. However, Dasein is not in the world in the same way the glasses or things are. There are other capacities Dasein can exercise as Dasein because Heider draws on the difference between Dasein and things. It ought not to surprise us that Dasein is not in the world in quite the same way that the glass of water is in the world. Or a car is in a garage, or a book is in a shelf, or a house is in a city, or a city is in a country. The being in of Dasein is what Heidegger calls an existential, which is to say, it is a form of existing which distinguishes Dasein from the ontic or things of the world. If we try to understand Dasein exactly the same way as we understand things, then we run into some problems. To understand a human being as only a thing would be to understand the human as allocated to a very specific position in space. To do so would be to sever the human being from its broader context of involvement. It would also be a limited understanding of things themselves. We tend to understand things as just that, singular things. And when we understand the difference between this thing and that thing, we do so by isolating each thing from everything around it in order to establish its position which can then be related to the position of other things around it, so that one ends up with a view from nowhere. Additionally, the spatial position of a thing is treated in isolation from every other aspect of the being of that thing. That is, the kind of relation that, say, A has to B does not in itself have any bearing on the determination of their respective positions in space or on their spatial relation to another. Things are often treated as isolated objects located at a particular point in a pre-established form of space and indeed also of time. The spatiality of the world, as Heidegger understands it, is established through the relation of things to each other and above all the relation of things to Dasein. And this spatial relation is in part determined by other kinds of relation that Dasein has to the things in question. However, the way that Dasein exists in the world has to do with concern for its own being as well as what it can become. So being in a world differs from things who, at least minimally, have less of a sense of what they can become. For example, it is difficult for a stone to become other than what it is precisely because what it is is not an issue for it. To understand any entity at all, whether as a thing or a human, is not just a matter of explaining how the entity is, but also to understand what is possible or impossible for it. Dasein as being in the world is only intelligible insofar as it is in a world. The things of its world certainly influence what it is and is not possible for Dasein, but they do not determine Dasein absolutely. What Dasein is and what Dasein can become is constrained by the world in which it finds itself. The in of Dasein then finds itself always already absorbed in the world. 
and the world is, up to a point, organised in relation to its interests and concerns. To say, in the world, really means to be out in the world. What is interesting about Heidegger's observation is that it is not determined purely in an instrumental sense. Dasein is not simply oriented towards efficacy. Dasein as being in the world is comported towards the world regardless of whether the things it engages with work or not. The bus in the morning works to pick you up to go to work, but equally it can break down. Your coffee machine makes a nice latte, but you might run out of your favourite beans, or a fuse can blow in the plug. The content does not interest Heidegger so much. Rather, he is more interested in the fact that prior to any of these events, Dasein is world-oriented, which is to say, Dasein is in a world before it thinks or does anything. This can be the case for our prisoner, or even someone who is just plain indolent and not looking to do anything. Say you're resting in your garden, then a push notification comes up on that pesky smartphone, directing you away from your hammock-induced reveries. Irrespective of whether you're doing something or not, possibility is inherently available to you. It does not really matter how you feel you are. What Heidegger is driving at here is that the structural makeup of Dasein is prior to any subjective or psychological state. Likewise, Dasein as a being in is prior to any who content or who talk. This is tricky to grasp. It is not like he is saying that there is no person or that even there is no psychological content taking place between our ears or in our mind's eye. There certainly is. But that is really uninteresting in terms of understanding how we are as opposed to we are. Dasein is always the being that can be doing. So the who of Dasein, me, you, your mum, your friends, neighbours and enemies, are intelligible first and foremost as moments of a totality of interactions between those cells and the world. Heidegger is boldly trying to displace the modern Cartesian conception of consciousness. That picture of the self as separate from the world. Being in the world, design, is the fundamental locus through which we can understand how we respond, differentiate, distinguish, adopt and transform our understanding. Thus, the self is the world. In another text, Heidegger is pretty explicit on this, and I quote, Self and world belong together in a single entity. Dasein. Self and world are not two beings, like subject and object, or like I and thou, but self and world are the basic determination of the Dasein itself, in the unity of the structure of being in the world. Only because the subject is determined by being in the world can it become, as this self, a thou for another. Here, being in as such means engaged, absorbed, fascinated, or caught up in practical activities. Another way of thinking about this would be to say that fundamentally the human being is a being distinguished by tasks, norms and roles about what it is and what it can be in very certain ways. Things too, as we will see, can have roles or norms. But really what being in time is trying to make explicit is the roles and norms of that being called Dasein. All this does not need to be dramatic, although it could be. The norms and roles we adopt could be something like life-defining moments, like climbing a mountain or a change of career, but equally it could be something utterly banal, like reaching for or not reaching for the salt and pepper. 
prior to the many ways we take up our life, the heart of the matter is that Dasein consists of the world. Dasein is always more than just the who, the person. The term Dasein therefore cannot be coextensive with the term self. There is a self, or a person involved to be sure, but ultimately the self is separable but not distinguishable from its world and how it does things in that world. Rather, Dasein is embodied in the concrete living of a distinctively human ways of life. But we may ask if Dasein is radically distinct from things, that is, if it places such an emphasis on the difference between being and beings, is this not itself a type of dualism? Not so for Heidegger. Why? Because while Dasein is not a thing, this does not mean it cannot be involved with the things of the world it is in. It is both being and beings constituted as a prior unity, not a duality. This is quite tricky to grasp for the reasons I mentioned in the last lecture, especially the way Cartesianism has seeped down into everyday thinking. Essentially, Heidegger is drawing attention to the anthropomorphisms that tend to include any ontologically adequate grasp of Dasein entities and the differences between them. How those Dasein thought of in relation to things of the world. The arrangement of things is disclosed first and foremost as a network of relations, as one thing fits with another to make up what Heidegger will go on to call a relational totality. It is one of the original aspects of Heidegger's account that the spatiality of the world understood in this way cannot be determined independently of other kinds of relations that Dasein has to things. Relations of use, imagination, material and even effective relations, such as fear and desire. This is to say that the spatiality of the world is fundamentally shaped by multiple relations between things and as an interest and its concern for its own being. Part 2. The Worldhood of the World Hyder explains how Dasein is not a subject that has to get out of its own consciousness in order to contact the world. Husserl had already shown that this way of thinking about consciousness is misdirected because consciousness is essentially relational or intentional as Husserl called it and Heider is expanding that idea to include Dasein's practical involvements in the world. Dasein is treated as first and foremost engaged with the world in a variety of ways that are mostly but not exclusively practical. Dasein is therefore not a being that theoretically represents the world to itself first and foremost and then gives meaning to that representation. If you think about it, when we go about our business in everyday life, we do not really think about or construct theoretical models of what we are doing as we are doing it. If I drive a car when my hands are on the steering wheel, I am not concurrently interpreting the steering wheel as a means of controlling the destination of the car. In fact, it is quite the opposite. I am driving in a very unreflective way. I would go so far as to say I am barely conscious of it. Perhaps, while I'm learning to drive, I'm more aware of the fact that I'm driving and going, oh gosh, how do I negotiate this roundabout? But even there, I am not representing the steering wheel in a cognitive way. If anything, I am even more attentive to the connection of the world to the steering wheel and the possibilities they afford me. To be sure, it helps that I can see the steering wheel or that I am thinking of where the handbrake is. But all of this thinking is always already infused with purpose. In a way... Heidegger here follows Aristotle. Dasein is a purpose of being, always orientating itself towards ends, in orders, 
or tasks to be carried out. Dasein, as being in the world, is defined by concernful involvement. And prior to any subjective cognizing, Dasein is, as Heidegger puts it, fascinated by the world with which it is involved. In the opening sections of Part 1 of Being and Time, Heidegger suggests that one of the most important ways we can understand the term world is as a form of worldhood. The worldhood of the world designates the ontological structure of the world. The term that is used in the translation for describing worldhood is environment, umwelt, or surrounding world, or the totalities of entities which are there. Environment, then, like place or a milieu, is the setting or context in which Dasein finds itself and the possibilities that are available to it, where it can work, rest and play, as the Mars chocolate advert used to suggest years ago. This is not a biographical or a geographical understanding, or even necessarily a cultural understanding of what constitutes Dasein. All of these things can be involved in what constitutes Dasein, but prior to even these is the way things are within a given milieu. We must also bear in mind the environment does not preclude things which are not immediately present or proximate to the milieu. If we take the example again of our learned driver, the worldly environment is there. It has a locus. But the world of our learned driver also can include ideal and material things too. The road in which he drives is a material instantiation of the history of engineering and the development of Tarmacadam. The world could also include ideas about our learner driver's house where he grew up in a small town far away because it lingers in his mind and colours his mood in relation to the city around him or even more approximately his favourite restaurant across town. What Heidegger is doing here, well, he is showing that our environmental contexts are thinkable only within broader contexts of involvement. Any ontology that only attempts to capture what entities are in isolation is a very impoverished way of thinking. In fact, it is not historical thinking in the specific way Heidegger understands historicity. In addition, treating the world as a set of objects distributed in space, as res extensa, as Descartes would have added, reduces the world to the subject, and ultimately solipsism. The being of the things in our environment must be understood in terms of their modal possibilities, in terms of what they are and what they can become. Insofar as these things constitute Dasein's activities, they make explicit that Dasein cannot but have concerns with the things of its environment. Consequently, and if that is the case, it shows that how the world is matters to us. The world out of the world, so to speak, or the dearness of the world, is the form of what and who we are, as well as how we do it. If nothing mattered to us at all, if we adopted the subjective nihilistic disposition, then the world would not be possible. It would not be intelligible formally, as it would lose all shape and definition. A state not too dissimilar to what Heidegger will later call anxiety. Dasein thus relates to things in our environment. For Heidegger, because the ontic constitutes our basic ontological makeup, we need to understand the being of the entities themselves as they make explicit what is and is not possible for Dasein. The most rudimentary way things disclose themselves to us is instrumentally, that is, as things with which we can do things. When we are concerned with the world, for the most part, we are doing something, and things are disclosed simply 
as what we use to achieve this or that. The door handle is the means to enter the room before it is a roughly circular object of a certain size made of certain properties such as wood, brass or steel. Heidegger calls things understood in this way equipment. By equipment, Heidegger kind of just means stuff or the paraphernalia of the world around us. The equipmental environment shows up as intra-worldly entities or everyday equipment, tools which are there and are not there for us to use. To the being of any equipment, writes Heidegger, there always belongs a totality of equipment in which it can be the equipment it is. This might sound slightly obscure on a first hearing, but what Heidegger is saying, I think, is fairly straightforward. We cannot understand anything in isolation. No thing is only itself. Any totality of things in an environment is only immediately intelligible in relation to other things in that environment and is held together by a network of relations. For example, the door handle exists only in relation to the door, which is a way to the kitchen so I can prepare some food. For Dasein, any entity in an environment is thus constituted from in-order-to relations. The door handle therefore belongs not only with the door, its frame and the house, but also with all the things in the kitchen that I will use to cook the meal. When a thing is encountered in this way, it has the ontological character of being ready to hand as handen. Part 3. Ready to hand and present to hand. Heidegger writes that entities are discovered when they have been assigned. That is, entities show themselves and so have a certain kind of being when they enter into the structure of meaningfulness. The ready-to-hand always has involvement in or with something. It is always referring or assigning, so to speak. As we saw, entities tend to be encountered, first of all, as things that we are using in some way. But this only is intelligible in terms of a broader context of involvement. Turn to Heidegger's famous example of a hammer in a workshop, we can get a sense of what he is driving at especially with regard to his description of the difference between ready-to-hand and present-to-hand. Ready-to-hand explains the idea that to understand things, we have to understand them within a network. Heidegger would not like the word network, but it is useful for helping us to explain. If we are to understand what a hammer is, then it can only be understood relationally within an environmental context or within a context of involvement. A hammer is only meaningful then for Dasein in the context of the wood, the nail, the table, and so on. If the hammer breaks or becomes less useful, then it becomes thematized or conspicuous for us. We become aware of it and focus our concern and attention on it or it becomes present to hand. We understand the object here only as it is in itself, not within the broader network of things. When the object breaks down, say the blunt end flies off my hammer, I am no longer absorbed and thus the hammer becomes noticeable. Here we can only understand it as a thing and not in its broader context. Our absorbful dealings with available things, tools or otherwise, reveal that entities become explicit in a way that is not necessarily determined by their roles and assignments. One might ask, though, is there not a standard through which we can determine, even measure, what a thing is for us? A spoon is a spoon, insofar as it is used for, well, spooning, not for playing hockey. A screwdriver is used for inserting screws and not for cleaning my teeth. And a car is for driving, not for tiling my bathroom. Yet, 
this is the case, things in the world can have an essential in order to. That is, there is something which they are usually for. But they are not absolutely determined in that way. A screwdriver in a pinch might perfectly well be used for stirring those chia seeds you like so much in your yogurt. These though are sets of practices, norms, or roles which we assign and which govern what things can and cannot do. However, this is not a sovereign state which, since things can be other than they are, even minimally in a useful sense. Essential roles are, well, essentially temporary in our sats. While tools can have a function that is proper to them, what they are for. But this only makes explicit that this is a fundamentally provisional set of tasks or roles. After all, hammers make great paperweights, which tells us that the tools of our world are meaningful insofar as they fulfil roles, yes, but also as they relate to other tasks and possibilities. The use value of things is thus contained to the degree by which you can do certain tasks or fulfil certain roles. The blunt dint of a hammer isn't great for eating yogurt, but also to the extent that it relates to other possibilities. The deeper point here, I think, is for Heidegger, Dasein is explicable in terms of referral. What does that mean? Heidegger's example of the hammer reveals that the hammering, something to fix it in place, is done not for an in itself. It implicitly contains a referral to other sets of tasks. For example, in order to provide protection against the weather in the building of a house, say, the hammer and any other tool are discovered insofar as they are involved in the activity. More specifically, they are involved in the towards which what Dazan is trying to do. But the aim is not simply to fix two pieces of wood together. The protection against the weather they will provide is for the sake of providing shelter for Dazan, that is to say, for a possibility of Dazan's being. The same can be said of all similar actions, so that the totality of involvements in which entities are caught up in a purposeful activity of some kind, as Heidegger says, and I quote, goes back ultimately to a towards which, in which there is no further involvement. But, then, where does all this referring achieve? All this referring takes us to the possibilities of Dasein itself, which takes its cues from the possibilities of the things in the world in which it inhabits. If we exist continually in an environment of relations, is there any point where it stops? Is there a bedrock of Dasein which can refer no further? Not really. What Dasein is, is the continual contextual relations which constitute it. There is no real final Dasein, so as Dasein is defined by practices and activity in the first instance. We might say that all the far the sakes of we engage with throughout our life are far Dasein, for a goal which you can reach, but there is no real in-state since Dasein is pure activity. All those activities are only meaningful as they constitute a life. If I'm frying eggs for the sake of eating them, then that is not just to eat eggs, but also to survive and to stave off my ultimate end, which is death. The point is that Dasein is always implicit as the meaning of a referral. Life and death are always implicit as the meaning of a referral. The concern that Dasein has for things and the involvement of things in Dasein's pursuit of the towards which of its action all leads or begins with Dasein's concern for its own being, its own survival, if you like. That is, with the fact that being is an issue for Dasein. The visible chains of means, instrumentality and ends, comes down to an ontological issue. The being, life and death of the world as a whole. By way of conclusion, 
What I've shown in this lecture is a few important things for grasping Heidegger. Firstly, I've tried to make explicit just exactly what Heidegger means to suggest by the in of being in the world. Our Dasein. The important thing here, which is quite counterintuitive, is that when Heidegger says in the world, he actually means out in the world. He's not really talking about imminence and transcendence as these include his aim. If we talk in the mundane sense of in and out, it makes Dasein seem like a container or enclosure of sorts. It is a bit of a pseudo-problem as far as Heidegger is concerned, and ultimately a bit silly, because if we demarcate all the worldly stuff out there from an inner worldly subjective sphere, then we get into all kinds of needless puzzles and conundrums about how what is out there gets to be in here, or we engage in representational thinking. Dasein, for Heidegger, is always already outside, in the midst of things, or in the thick of it, as we might say in English. This is what the in of being in the world implies. The world, then, is the environment in which Dasein understands itself through assigning itself to some tasks, and that upon which entities are encountered as involvements. Taken together, all these points show that both the disclosure of entities and Dasein's understanding of itself follows from the being in the world as a whole, in a context of involvement. If there is still any doubt about this Heidegger makes it clear that the main ontological task we face is to find way or ways of grasping this whole that seems to be presupposed each time Dasein understands itself or has anything to do with particular beings in the world. But really, we are only getting started. The distinction between ready-to-hand and present-to-hand discloses that Dasein's engagement with the world is also an engagement with life itself.